Welcome to the Family Bible Hour here, hour of Northern Hills Bible Chapel. We're glad you're here. To the visitors, welcome. To uh, Piley, Jen, and your family, welcome. Glad the Ethans are here. Before we start uh, in our passage today, in our study of uh, the book, uh, at least a section of the book of Jude, let's, let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are convinced of the reality of you the reality of your Son and Holy Spirit, Lord, as we take time around other believers, as we read your word, as we receive the benefit of prayer in our own lives, Lord, as we, over time, have a personal relationship with you. Lord, I I can't take a snapshot of you and show the world. I cannot say, look, this is what Jesus looks like exactly but I can show many examples of you in my life and the lives of friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, you've made yourself known to us. And Lord, as we look at this book, one of the last books of the New Testament, help us to gravitate and hear what the Apostle Jude is saying to us as believers. Lord, how he is asking us, begging us, Lord, to look at the reality of the basics of Christianity and to take them seriously. Father, we pray that this would be a time that is beneficial for believers, the believers who are exacting their faith with fear and trembling, who are living according to your statutes, who are reading your word, who are praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that it would be a time of conviction for believers amongst us who are sinning, Lord, either a little bit or off the rails who are growing incrementally or backslidden, Lord. We pray that this passage would would affect them. Father, while the passage we read is mostly for believers, if not 90% of it, there is a small portion in this passage that we'll read that is for the unbeliever. And Lord, I pray that there is at least one unbeliever here today so that, Lord, your Holy Spirit can pressure and squeeze the heart as only you can do. Father, I pray that this time in your word will be beneficial for all of us. Thank you for the opening songs. Thank you for the moments we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Jude is written, as I said, to the believer... Many times we'll hear, it's an exhortation to the believer, many times you'll hear in the New Testament, exhortation. What is the definition of that word? The Oxford Dictionary defines it as an address or a communication emphatically urging someone to do something. An address or communication emphatically urging someone to do something. And the key there is that it's, that it's a urging, that it's stated with importance. And the reason why Jude is on the scene as an apostle, the reason why he's writing to the church is because there have been many things that have been happening in the church and the time in which he's living that is taking the church in a course totally unintended by Christ. Let's just look at verse 4. For there are certain men that have crept in unaware who were before of old ordained into this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Uh, good old King James Version word. What does it mean? Lustful perversion. 
It comes down to that again. They deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus. They love to be the movers and shakers in a church that indulge themselves. And they care nothing for the growth of the Spirit in the church. And this is what Jude is talking about. He's saying there's, there's just degrees, bit by bit by bit, that they've crept in to the church. And brothers and sisters, I'm wanting you to know that it's important that I can give you examples all the way through history. I want you to know, Jude says, how important it is for you to stay the course. And what is staying the course? Verses 20 through 23 is what we'll desire to unpack today. As I said, Jude is talking to believers. What, what does it mean to be a believer? I think that's, it's important to define our terms because so many people now think that they're believers. Just ask anybody on Oprah. Just ask Oprah. If they're on a path, if they're on a good course, if they're looking to do something that's kind, you must be a believer. There's a, many paths to God. And that's what she would say. That's what many believe. Is a believer someone that believes that Jesus Christ existed? No, but he did. Is a believer someone that thinks that Jesus Christ was a good man that taught good sayings and good teachings? No, but he did. Is a believer someone that, that believes like the, like, the, uh, like the Muslims do, that he was a good prophet sent from God? No, but he was. A believer is a person who has accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. But it's more than that. They've, they've put their faith and their trust in Him to save their immortal soul. They've accepted, they've confessed with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and they believe that God has raised Him from the dead, and they have been saved eternally. That's what a believer is. That's who Jude's talking to. And the reason why it's important to distinguish our terms is because many of the Nicolaitans and the apostates and so many people that came into the church at this time were saying, we're believers. We're believers. We're Christians. We're part of, we're part of the group. And so many people that were Christians were getting confused as to what is right, what is wrong. Is, is the immorality that they live in, is that okay? Is that acceptable? It's important to know who the believers are. It's a tough thing. We're told not to judge, but we judge every day. God gives us an easy standard to judge believers. What is the fruit of their life? What is the fruit of their life? Let's take a moment to read verses 20 through 23. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some, have compassion, making a difference, and of others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment that's spotted by the flesh. When we look at these four verses, Jude exhorts us to do what? Well, 
He's talking to a believer, so he's saying, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and if you've trusted him for your salvation, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. What does that mean? Jude is asking us to be real Christians. Don't be a casual Christian. Don't be a Christian in name only, but rather be committed, holy, set apart. How do we set ourselves apart according to this passage? In verse 20, we set ourselves apart by the reading of God's word. Receiving from his word those things which are sometimes easy, sometimes simple, sometimes things that bring joy, sometimes those things that bring caution. But then also by working and striving and desiring to know the deeper, complex and hard things of scripture as well. What are the hard things of scripture? Take your eye and cast it from you if it causes you to sin. That's a hard, that's a hard saying. That's a, that's a hard thing Jesus said. Was he being metaphoric? Does he really mean it? That I gotta wrestle with that. If you're going to follow me, you must leave your mother and father and all your family. That's a hard thing to understand, God. I'm, I'm in stress over that. Do you really want me to leave my family? Do I deny myself in every way? You've created me to be a certain way, God. You've, you've bent me in a such a way. You've given me emotions towards certain things. What do you want me to do? Those are hard things that we have to wrestle with. And Jude is saying to be a person who is held up in your most holy faith, you must read the word of God. You must understand the word of God. And even though you may not understand everything in the word of God, you must wrestle with those things. You must counsel on those things with the Holy Spirit and with other believers. What does Jude want from us? In verse 20, he wants us to know the Word of God. The second thing Jude makes mention of is he wants us to pray with the power of the Holy Spirit. In my growing up, I had friends that were charismatic. And they would pray in the Holy Spirit. and that's, They would say it just like the King James Version says it here. But we need to slow our reading down. We should pray in the Holy Spirit. We should pray with the power of the Holy Spirit, praying either God's word back to him or praying in his will. So many times we look at praying in the Holy Spirit and you would look at a Pentecostal take on that and we'd say, oh, we're going to we want to will the power of God to handle this situation. We have a human fix for this and we just need to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. As if we motivate and move God. This whole section is about how we can't do any of this unless God moves in us first. When it comes to prayer, I just had a few questions as I thought about this. And I wanted us to ask ourselves these questions. And believe me, some people in our assembly, other brothers and sisters in Christ across the nation, across the world, they're doing it right. They're doing it right. But I want you to ask yourself, as I did, ask myself, will we want to pray? Will we want to pray at all if our lives are encumbered with sin? Will we want to pray if we are not learning and we are not growing in God's Word? Will we want to pray if we're not connected to the Holy Spirit? The answer to all these questions is no. Have you wrestled with the time when you knew you should move into something that was spiritual? And I don't mean to make that sound lofty. It's as simple as being in your recliner and seeing your Bible and seeing your remote control. For me, it is. 
Do I go to the thing that's easy? Or do I go to the thing that will bless me the most and sometimes is hard? That's just an example. I don't know what your example is. Stay studying. Stay learning from God's Word. Stay close to the Holy Spirit. That's what Jude, in verse 20, is telling us to do. And I'm not doing it justice because I think there would be some exclamation points in there if Jude was saying it to us. He's probably a collected individual. But it's an exhortation, which means it's an emphatic urging that we do it. When it comes to prayer and praying in the Holy Ghost, I had thought about this because I had experienced this a few times in my life where I had started to pray. And maybe you've experienced this too, where I've had those moments in life where I was too broken, or I was too hurt, or I was too confused over a situation. And all I could do was make a sound and breathe. And there was a lot in my heart that I wanted to share with the Lord, but I couldn't. If you would turn to Romans 8, and I want to read verses 26 and 27. I think this applies for us, and I think we should be made aware of it as believers. Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps with our infirmities, the King James says, or our struggles. We don't know what we should pray or how we should pray, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I've been so thankful a few times in my life when I know that the Holy Spirit has interceded in prayer for me, where I felt the warmth of His presence around me, where I know that that what was so uh, deep in my own life was handled by the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Spirit doesn't always manifest itself like that. But there's always power in prayer when we pray with the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21 says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And I want to pause just there. It reminds me of keeping ourselves in the love of God. As I look, I don't want to go too far ahead because it's its own message. But verse 24, now that now unto him that is able to keep us from falling and present us faultless before the presence of his glory. I don't really have the ability to keep myself in the love of God. If we look at 1 John 4, 10, it's clear that in those passages, it's God's love that starts first. I respond to His love in that way. I can desire in some small ways to keep myself in the love of God, but it's all God that started the process anyhow. It's, it's, it's God's love that gives me a shot, that gives me the ability, the chance to go ahead and try and keep myself in His love. Without that, I would not be able to do so. How do we keep ourselves in God's love? I think the prescription is clear in verses 20 and the first part of 2021. And it's, it's summed up in a children's song many people know. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. The opposite of that is forget your Bible, forget to pray, and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. And of course, everybody knows how long that song goes on if you're familiar with it. But the encouragement is to read your Bible, pray every day, so that you will grow. Keep yourself in the love of God. Thank God. I, I don't, I didn't even know sometimes how I'm a Christian. 
other than the fact that he reached out to me in love first. I'm amazed by that. From the start, it is God's love that keeps and secures us. I know Jude says keep yourself in the love of God, but it's God's love, his continuing love, that gives me the opportunity to do that. When we view ourselves resisting temptation, times of selfless living, being true-hearted toward our Savior, it was all because of Him. And the interesting thing is, believers, we knew it. We knew it. The second part of that verse in 21, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, being grateful and being thankful and looking forward to our future home. Friends, it's always been a tough thing. It's been, it's been an impossible thing apart from reading your Bible and praying. It's been an impossible thing. And it's always been a tough thing. We have so much convenience in the world in which we live. We have so much at our fingertips and what seems like so much power that it's hard sometimes to look at our Savior and look at the eternity to come with Him. It makes it even harder. And there's nothing new about this. When believers nibble at the edges of the world and the world system, one foot in, one foot out, one foot in church, one foot in the world. And there's no way to balance that because that puts us on a plateau and there's no plateau in Christianity. There's forward and there's backsliddenness. There's moving forward by the reading of God's word and praying in the Holy Spirit or there's sin in our life that must be dealt with. Jude is saying in this passage, don't do it. Stop. Build yourselves up at the reading of God's word. Pray in the Holy Spirit. And by that, if you are a believer that's dealing with sin in your life, you will inch toward God. And bam! He's so close that you're wearing Him. Turn to one of my favorite passages, James 4, verse 7, let's go through verse 10. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. It's an old word, come close to God and he'll come close to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. James seems a little bit sadistic. He wants us to go through a little bit of pain. He wants us to be afflicted and mourn and weep. And he wants our laughter to be turned to mourning and our joy to heaviness. What does he really want? He wants us to be sober believers. He wants us to quit riding the fence. He wants us to look at our sin and reject it. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He was talking to believers. He was not talking to the unbeliever here. And He wants us to be afflicted and mourn and weep over our sin, not realize that everything is flippant, but to take our sin seriously and to be sober. 
Jude wants the same thing because he's given us a whole list prior to this starting starting in verse 4 through verse 19. He's given us examples of sin. He's given us examples of sin and warning. Sin and warning. Sin and warning. And then sin and warning and death. Israelites, they've left Egypt. They start to grumble. And it's not just the grumbling. It's that they want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to something that they had. Sin. And the grumbling continues and continues. And they've received warning after warning. Death. God's They did not enter the promised land. They were killed before that. Angels, which did not keep their first estate, they they, they were the angelic. They followed Satan to earth. From earth, they went ahead and they did the, the unthinkable. And they went ahead and left their estate. And they looked at the daughters of men and saw that they were good for marriage. From heaven to earth, or heaven to hell, and from earth to corruption. Wanting to make man in their own image. Sin, then death. Sodom and Gomorrah, doing that which the reprobate do. Not even worth discussion. We can find that we can do that another time. Sin. And they received plenty of warning. Lot tried his best. Lord, Abraham tried his best. What if I just get ten? What about this many? What about this many? Okay, for this many, I'll spare the city. No, sin, warning, death. Jude has given us examples all the way through this book. And he's getting to Christians and he's saying, listen, you have to confront sin in your life, believers. And then you need to be built up through the scripture and prayer. You need to rest in God's love for you so that you can keep seeing it. Otherwise, you'll simply blind yourself. You'll blind yourself to God's love. You'll start to take on the, the, the things of the world and you'll, you'll take them as fact and you'll, and you'll push God to the side. Don't do that. Stay in His love. Keep looking for it. We don't have too many churches that are different than the church at this time today. I've said it before. Thank God that at this assembly we have safeties in place. But it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. A little bit of sin, and a little more sin, and a little more sin. Degrees and degrees and degrees. And we fall. Just like other churches have fallen for everything in our time today. Just like they've fallen in years past. And Jude is saying, listen, I want you to be in the Word, and I want you to be praying, so that you can be equipped to deal with issues that might arise in your church, so that you can can help other believers. Verse 22, and of some have compassion making a difference. For some of those believers at this time that were totally corrupted and skewed and just confused over what the Nicolaitans and the, and, and the Carmanians and, and, and the apostates brought in, be compassionate. Same thing we have to do today so many times where people are in error, be compassionate. Love them. Speak truth to them. Help them to understand that they are in a way that is apart from Scripture. It's not God's design for them or the church. And of others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by flesh. What does it mean? It does speak of believers that are on the edge, that have went the way, uh, that, that have just made sin their standard course. There's no disputing that. And in the church, these others are also unbelievers. 
I think a case can be made just looking at lots of different commentary and trying to study things through different concordances. You can see that there are people that are so skewed, you don't know. There's no fruit. There's no fruit in this church. And, and it can happen in our church. It can happen with other churches. You see that there are some where we pull them out with fear. You are going down a wrong path. We can't tell if you're saved. We have no clue if you have the Holy Spirit. Make a change. Well, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay here. You know, I, I, was, I, was really, I was really having trouble with bitterness and I took that fruit and I threw it away. And I had trouble with, with some anger and I, I dealt with that and I threw it away. And I was, really, I was really jealous and I took that fruit off the tree and I threw it away. And Jesus says, if the tree is bad, then kill it. Because it's not the fruit that will cause the problem. It's the sin underneath that causes the problem. It's not a piece of fruit that you can be proud that you said you threw away. I'm angry. I'm angry at this person. They've hurt me over and over. Deal with it in Christ. Kill the sin. Kill the root of the tree. And that's a hard saying. We don't like that. We want to water that tree. We want to see it leave once in a while. We want to say the fruit looks good for a season or two. Because we have a right to be angry. We have a right to be bitter. And we have a right to be jealous. We have a right to covet. We've got a raw deal in this life. Let me hold on to that tree of sin just a little bit. Let me love it just a little bit. Let me take the fruit and throw a, throw a piece of it away once in a while so I can feel good about my progress. And Jesus told us, believer, if you care what Jesus says in this assembly, He told us to take the tree and kill it. And look toward the tree that bears good fruit. These are hard words for believers. We should listen to them and hear them. And we should recognize our propensity for loving sin in our own life and making it no big deal. No big deal. There are things that the Bible doesn't clearly mention. We could debate over should you be doing it, should you not be doing it. But then there's that catch-all. We used to have that in the military. It was Article 129. If we couldn't get you on something, we definitely got you with Article 129. That you did. What is that, Sean? Conduct unbecoming? Yeah. So if you did something that we can't find, an art, that you messed up on, we got you on Article 129. Conduct unbecoming of a non-commissioned officer an officer. And then we're going to go ahead and give you non-judiciary punishment over that. And that's the thing. Here's the catch-all in God's Word. The catch-all in God's Word is if it is sin to him, then it is sin. If you're dealing with a struggle in your own heart over something, and God's word doesn't specifically cover it, to you it's sin. God's convicting you about it. Why does Jude care so much? His brother was Jesus. He loved his brother. He was changed. Friends, as believers, if you have sin to deal with in your life, deal with it. To the unbeliever, and I've, I've prayed that there would be at least one unbeliever here, know this, that the Holy Spirit takes an opportunity and He doesn't take it for the rest of your life or when it's convenient for you. He takes it when it's inconvenient for you and when your mind has the ability to recognize your sin. 
I remember for me, it was pressure. I can't speak for everybody, but I knew I was a sinner. And I knew, I just knew, as a five-year-old kid, I was bad. And through the years, I've, I've doubted that. And I've said, oh, you know, I mean, you know, I got saved at an early age. What did God save me from? Don't ever say that. Because I've been through plenty of junk in the years later that I put myself through to try to validate what God saved me from. It's not worth it. If you're an unbeliever, don't look at the Bible. It's unsophisticated, not scientific, not complete, contradictory. Study it a little bit. Know it for yourself. It has depths unplummetable. If you feel a tug of the Holy Spirit on your heart, answer that call. Recognize that you are lost without Him, that this word is true. It's been true for millennia. It'll always be true because it's the word of the living God. Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. For those of us who endeavor to have righteousness in our assembly, starting with ourselves, heed verse 20 in reading God's word and praying in the power of the Holy Spirit, desiring to live righteously and recognizing that It's God that allows us to go ahead. And as verse 21 says, keep ourselves in the love of God. It's because of him that we have the opportunity to do that. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jude's strong words to our churches, our assemblies. Father, he cared for the church because he had met you. You'd given him the the prescription, he placed eternity in his heart and he knew exactly what the church should be. It was not that. And he wanted to make Christians aware of what it took to stand in such, such difficult times with, with, with so many apostates, so many uh, deceivers, Lord. He wanted to give us a small prescription of what it took to win the battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And here he's done it in four verses. He's given us instruction of what it takes. It's a fundamental thing in the Christian faith, Lord. It's the basics. Read the Bible. Learn what you can learn. Strive to understand the things that are difficult. Connect with others. Find who's struggling. As you're in the love of Christ, work and desire to go ahead and and bring those who are struggling on. Where discipline is needed, provide discipline. Where strength is needed, give strength. Where love is needed, give love. But bring them on and reach, reach out to the unbeliever and let them know that their life is lost, that they may do things that are good for social standing today, but eternally it means nothing. Their life is lost if it's, if it's not in Christ Jesus and he is not in them. Father, we thank you for this small, short book that delivers so much power for our daily life. Father, if there is sin that believers are dealing with, help them, Lord, help us to not only lay that on the altar, Father, but to but to get in your word and be convinced and convicted by your word so that we may shun evil, that we may push aside sin in our life with the strength and the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.